Today's scripture reading comes to us from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is the reading of God's word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on his own animal and brought him up to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've reached the end of our series on Jesus and justice, and I hope it's been helpful in providing a biblical framework for us as we continue to navigate these very important issues of justice, both on a personal level, but also as a church. You know, last week was July 4th weekend, typically a time when we celebrate the ideals of freedom and equality in this country. And I think many of us felt conflicted this year, because on one hand, America is our home. It's a place where many of our parents immigrated in search of a better life. It's an identity that has historically been a source of great pride for us. But I think 2020 has been one of those years that has begun to expose all the stress cracks within this home. Some of us never noticed them before, but we're now just starting to realize that this home isn't as sturdy as we once thought. And these issues aren't just things we can patch up with some glue. They're issues that are connected to the very foundation of the home itself, a foundation supposedly built on a commitment to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare. These words are straight from our Constitution. And we're looking around right now, and I think all of us can agree that these words don't really describe the home that we've built. Now, at this point, it doesn't matter if we were the first homeowners or the second or the tenth or the thousandth. We're the ones living in the home now, so it is our responsibility to address the issues within it. Now, I know that for some of us, it's starting to get to that point where we feel like we've done our part in the fight for justice, where we've posted a few articles on social media, we've read a couple books, had a few conversations, but we're kind of ready to move on. We're starting to get tired of the barrage of posts. We're starting to feel kind of numb to everything. We're not as passionate as we were a few weeks ago. And I get it. But what I want to say to our church this morning is that we don't ever want to just move past this. We can't just move past this. 
As followers of Jesus, it should never stop grieving us to look out at a world where men and women created in the image of God continue to be brutalized and dehumanized because of the color of their skin. It would be absolutely irresponsible for us to stop talking about the injustices that continue to plague our society, especially because it is a subject that is so close to the heart of God and one that is central to our understanding of the gospel. We can't possibly read the story of Jesus and not conclude that justice for the oppressed is a gospel issue. Now, let me say this. I really hope and I pray that at the end of the day, our church will not be known for our amazing programs or our slick production, but for our love for one another and for the most vulnerable among us. And so to conclude this series today, I want to look at this famous story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. It's arguably the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables and easily the most socially charged story Jesus ever tells. Now the text opens with an encounter between Jesus and an expert of the law who asks the question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, responds to this man's question with a question of his own. He says, You're a lawyer. What does the law say? And the man replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You're right. So go do that. Now you would think that at this point, the lawyer would say, Well, obviously I can't do that. I can't love God and love neighbor with 100% of myself, 100% of the time. But that's not what this lawyer says. It says he wanted to justify himself. So he asks another question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? You see, this is meant to be a trap. This is a loaded question. He's saying, what exactly do you mean by that word neighbor? Because depending on how you define it, I think I might be good. You know, I'm a lot better with this now, but when my wife and I first started dating, I used to drive her crazy because I was late all the time. My wife is that person who is always at every dinner appointment 15 minutes early. She's always the first one in the Zoom chat. She's from the East Coast, so I had to teach her that in LA, 15 minutes late is actually early. And I still remember one of the first fights we ever had. Um, I bought us tickets to a movie that started at 8 p.m., which means that she wants to get there at 7.45. You know, gives us enough time to get popcorn, gives us time to find our seats, watch the previews. Obviously, I got us there at like 8.10. Okay? And if you know my wife, you know how frazzled she gets in situations like this. She couldn't enjoy the movie at all. I mean, I had a great time. Uh, but after the movie, I was like, what's wrong? And she said, what do you mean what's wrong? We were late. And I said, well, what do you mean by late? Because we missed the previews, but we didn't miss the movie, so technically we weren't late. You see, I was trying to set the bar just low enough to ensure I reached the standard but I was clearly missing the point. And we do this to God all the time. God says, seek justice. And we say, well, what do you mean by justice? Because technically, if we define justice a certain way, I think I'm a pretty just person. God says, sell everything you have and give it to the needy. And we say, well, what do you mean by everything? Because depending on how you define that word, I think you could say I'm a pretty generous person. You see, when we ask these questions, our goal is really not to define our responsibility, but to limit it. It's to find the loophole so that we can justify ourselves. And you see, this is exactly what this lawyer is doing when he asks, who is my neighbor? 
Because if you're talking about my family or my friends or my tribe, I think I'm pretty good. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good son. All my friends say I'm a giving person, that I always think about others before myself. So if that's what you're talking about, I think I've actually done these things. But Jesus sees right through this lawyer and he's going to turn this question on its head by telling this story about a man who while traveling gets robbed, stripped, and left for dead. Now we don't know anything about this man. It just says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I think this is intentional because Jesus knows it's the tendency of every human being to start with the question of who is this man and is he deserving of my help? Is he deserving of my sympathy, of my compassion? Is he someone who's done a lot for me? Is he a friend of a friend? Does he go to my church? Is he someone with a lot of influence? You see, our priorities when it comes to works of justice are often connected to how we define that word neighbor. And if we're honest, most of us define neighbors as those people in our lives who look like us, who talk like us, who believe the same things we do, who offer some benefit to us, people who we deem worthy of our love and care. And yet Jesus leaves the identity of the man ambiguous as if to say, it doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter what kind of family he comes from. It doesn't matter what sins he's committed. If he's a friend or a stranger or an enemy, he is your neighbor. Now, the first person who happens to be walking down that road is a priest. And this is great news, right? I mean, who better would you want on the scene than a pastor? Someone whose very job it is to model God's justice and mercy. But what do we read? It says, when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Well, the next person on the scene is a Levite from the privileged tribe of Levi. These were the spiritual and social elites of society. These were like your CG leaders, your praise team members, your elders, your deacons. Surely this guy would stop and do something. And yet we read again, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. Now, I want to pause there because this should come as a huge rebuke to the church. You know, the reason nobody wants to listen to what the church has to say about justice is because we have not earned the right to be heard. We have largely been silent in the face of injustice and oppression. We've come into communities and used them for our benefit. We've neglected and ignored the needs of the most vulnerable among us. You know, what many people forget is that the civil rights movement in the 60s was located in and through the church. It was in the church where the issues of racial reconciliation and systemic change were being discussed. It was in the church that the poor and marginalized were being cared for, but that's not the case today. Now, one thing I want you to notice is that Jesus makes it a point to say that both the priest and the Levite saw the man. It wasn't that they were unaware of his situation. It says they saw him, and yet they chose to walk on the other side. You know, right now, we are in a cultural moment where many of us are seeing for the first time. Many of us were never educated about the horrific injustices that have plagued the black community for hundreds of years. Many of us did not know what the phrase mass incarceration meant until we watched 13th on Netflix. And it's like the veil has been lifted and we're seeing some of these things for the first time, which is great. But I fear that for many of us, it will end there. That we will convince ourselves that as long as we've seen it, 
that that is the same as having done something about it. You know, David Brooks wrote an op-ed in the New York Times in 2018 called The Problem with Wokeness. And in it, he talks about the danger of misinterpreting being woke as being proactive. This is what he says. He says, Wokeness jams together the perceiving and the proposing. Wokeness puts more emphasis on how you perceive a situation, how woke you are to what is wrong, than what exactly you plan to do about it. And you see, by this definition, both the priest and the Levite were very woke. They saw the man. They were very aware of this man's plight, and yet they chose to keep him at an arm's length. Why? Because they had more spiritual things to tend to. It's what we read in Isaiah 1 when God rebukes his people for prioritizing their religious gatherings and rituals and sacrifices over the needs of the fatherless and the widow. How many of us, now that we've talked about racism for a few weeks, now that we've educated ourselves with books and documentaries, feel pretty good about ourselves because we feel like we've done a lot. We've done our part. But you see, that makes us no better than the priest or the Levite who just saw the man and yet passed by him. Well, we know where the story goes next because then comes the Samaritan. Now, it's easy to gloss over this detail, but if you were listening to Jesus tell this story in real time, you would have gasped. A Samaritan? What's he doing in this story? You see, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were seen as half-breeds, as less than human, people you should avoid at all costs, people you should watch out for, people you should be afraid of if you saw them walking down the street, people you should definitely not consider your neighbor. And yet Jesus not only defies those assumptions, but he makes the Samaritan the hero of this story. The Samaritan is the hero of this story. And we read that when the Samaritan saw the man, he had compassion on him. And unlike the others, he doesn't just see the man and then walk on the other side. No, he begins to act. He moves toward him. He moves toward the pain. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn. Not only does he pay for the night, the next morning he tells the innkeeper, take care of him and I'm going to pay all his debts when I get back. He pours out his time, his money, his energy, his resources with no regard for his own safety, with no benefit to himself whatsoever. There's no logical reasoning going on in his head. He's not asking himself, I wonder who this guy is. I wonder what he did to deserve this kind of beating. I wonder what kind of political statement this makes if I help him out. I wonder if he'll take advantage of me. No, there are no questions. It says he saw him and he had compassion. Some would call it reckless. Some would call it foolish. And yet Jesus holds this image up as an example of love. Now, obviously, I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise and thoughtful with regard to how we engage issues of justice. But so many times, if we're honest, our extensive calculations are just excuses for a heart that frankly could care less about the needs of the oppressed. That Samaritan had no moral or legal obligation to stop, no reputation to uphold. He had every reason to walk away. I mean, he was already ostracized by his society. He was already seen as unclean. He had nothing to gain. And yet with what little privilege and power he had, he gave it all away for a complete stranger. 
where you can imagine the crowd is silent at the end of this story. And we know all this is just a setup for Jesus' question back to the lawyer. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan because of its social implications. And so he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you're right. Now go and do likewise. You see, the lawyer's original question was, who is my neighbor? Or put another way, who do I need to be good to or who do I need to act good in front of to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, who am I? He's saying a neighbor is not something you have. A neighbor is something you are. Are we like the Samaritan who gives help when help is needed? Who sacrifices his time, his energy, and money for those who may never be able to repay us? Or are we like the lawyer, caught up in questions about who we're supposed to help and what the minimum requirement is to get what we want? Now, I think our natural inclination at this point, understandably, would be to assume that Jesus is telling all of us to go out and be like the Good Samaritan. I mean, that's what he says, right? He says, go and do likewise. That's typically how these sermons end. Go and be like the Good Samaritan. Go and do justice for the needy. Go and pour yourselves out for the broken and the vulnerable and the marginalized. And this is what many of us have done, or at least have tried to do. But to end the sermon there would be to miss what Jesus is really getting at by telling this story. Why does he paint this particular picture for the lawyer? It's not to give him something to do. It's to expose that all his doing will never be enough. He might do a good deed here and there. He might show up to a protest or donate to a cause once in a while, but he can't possibly be the kind of neighbor God wants him to be. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If we could actually do that, we would have solved systemic racism by now. If we actually had the capacity and the will to give 100% of ourselves 100% of the time for the needs of others, there wouldn't be such a huge gap between the rich and poor in our city. There wouldn't be such huge disparities in housing and education and healthcare. It's because we can't be the neighbors we're called to be that so much injustice continues to persist all around us. So what do we do? We have to do more then, right? And we have to try harder. We have to be better. We have to speak out more. We have to give more. We have to change the way we act and think and behave. But the Bible tells us that true transformation is never from the outside in. It's always from the inside out. It's never behavior first. It's always heart first. You know, this past week, there was a viral video that went around of a tech CEO in San Francisco who went on this racist rant against an Asian American family at a restaurant. And then after the backlash, you know what he did? He did what every person and organization does when they get called out. He issued an apology the next day and said his behavior in the video was appalling and that he was taught to respect all races and he doesn't know why he said what he did, why he did what he did. You see, we live in a culture that pushes behavior modification before heart change. Say the right things. Do the right things before you actually believe they're the right things. And then we wonder why these things continue to persist in progressive, enlightened cities like San Francisco, like Los Angeles. 
And you see, this is the problem with the lawyer. He's fixated on the behavior. What is the minimum I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is saying, it's not about the doing. You know what story comes right after this one? Like literally in the next verse. And this is where God is so wise. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And you know who looks like the good Samaritan in this story? It's not Mary. It's Martha. She's the one in the kitchen. She's the one expending her time and energy. She's serving. She's sacrificing. She's doing. Mary, she's just sitting there at Jesus' feet. And Martha comes over to Jesus and says, Can you do something about her? Can you please tell her to help me? Can you please tell her to be more woke? Can you please tell her to care about the cause? Isn't this what you wanted? And you know what Jesus says? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha's problem was that she was trying to justify herself. She was trying to be her own savior. She was trying to earn her way to salvation. And why would this story be placed immediately after the parable of the Good Samaritan? Because what Jesus is trying to get this lawyer to see, and what he wants all of us to see, is that we are not the Good Samaritan. We are the hurt man lying on the side of the road, left for dead. You know, that same word for compassion that is used to describe the Samaritan is used over and over again in the New Testament to describe none other than Jesus himself. You see, friends, Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ died for his enemies. He died for those who despised him and belittled him and mocked him. Friends, Jesus had no obligation whatsoever to stop for us. In fact, he had every reason to leave us behind. And yet the good shepherd always leaves the 99 for the one. Some would call it reckless. Some would call it foolish. He would call it love. And only when we grasp this truth, only when our hearts have been transformed by this kind of love can we actually possess the power and the will to love others. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, we will not be able to last in our work of justice unless we are gripped by the gospel. Without it, we will all become like the lawyer and try to justify ourselves. We will justify our action and we will justify our inaction. Let me explain. Without the gospel, those of us who are simply doing all the right things, fighting and sacrificing and giving, will look at others who are slowing down or not doing enough by our standards, and we will condemn them. We will judge them. We will virtue signal and become like Martha and say, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? We will attempt to justify ourselves by what we do. And those of us who are doing nothing, who are like the priest or the Levite, who see the injustices all around us and choose to walk on the other side, we will look at those who are actively fighting for justice and we will find reasons for why their actions are short-sighted and naive and overly emotional and hypocritical and we will justify ourselves by what we don't do. But you see, the gospel calls all of us to repent, to repent of our action and to repent of our inaction. 
To those of us who want to do, 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 the gospel brings rest and reminds us that the work of justice isn't ultimately in our hands, but in the hands of a God who is in his very nature just. For those of us who have grown complacent, who've been silent in the face of oppression and injustice, the gospel convicts us with the reality of our own affliction and the heavy price that was paid to save us, which in turn allows us to show that same compassion and care for others. Friends, I don't need to convince you that much work needs to be done. We look around and there is so much pain and hurt and brokenness in our city and our nation right now. But may we remember this morning that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same power that moves in you and me to make us more like Jesus, to make us more just, loving, merciful people, is the same power at work in our world today, renewing, restoring, and reconciling all things on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you for this powerful story in your word that points us to the ultimate Good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, who emptied himself and shed his own blood that we might know you and be saved. May that be the reality that motivates us as a church to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Help us to be a community marked by a profound love of our neighbors, not just those who are like us, but all those you have placed before us. We thank you for who you are and give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.